Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday service. Today's reading comes from Matthew 5 and the introduction to the sermon on the mount. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for these is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it remain salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Yvonne. You can keep that. Take it home. Uh, souvenir. There you go. Thank you. Hey, are you warm enough? Okay, we can, you can sit down halfway through if you want. It's a bit loud, but at least you'll hear. Hey, guess what? Guess what we're doing today in the sermon? It's the final. Jonah, this is it. This is the end. Hey, I'm going to miss Jonah. I end up falling in love with every character or book that I preach on. And so we're finishing Jonah, okay? And this is the finale. So... I've got, to, I've got to finish whatever time it goes on until, because I've got to finish the book today, okay? So sit on down and get comfortable, and let's see how far we go. I want to show you my first picture. I want someone to, someone to tell me what's happening there. What are they doing? Yeah, that's, it, that's right. But tell me more. Well, there's that. Okay, well, beyond, well, yeah, yeah, what's the purpose of it? Yeah. Well, why is it important for cars to drive on it? Keep them safe. What else? Get you here. What happens when you have a heart attack? No, you need a road. You need a road for an ambulance. How are your kids going to get to school in a fortnight? 
on the road? How are you going to get to work? You try driving here from the hills, okay, on dirt tracks. Cars, cars, roads. I want to suggest roads, those workers are ministering for Jesus to his world. He wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. You wouldn't be, you'd be probably, you might not be here if it wasn't for them a few weeks ago. Okay? They're God's agent for saving your life, mate. You see where we're getting? Now, I want you to hold all that intention, okay? And if I remember, you know, I will come back to it. Okay, but let me begin. Let me begin, Jonah, in earnest. Uh, as I said, this is our last time, and we're looking at the last two verses. Uh, verse 11, well, probably remember that, and verse 12, if I go wrong, at least verse 11. Okay, but, and you may want to have it open. We're going to look at a few passages together. You're going to need to flick through your Bible quite a bit, particularly the Sermon on the Mount and a couple of other places in the New Testament. So have Bibles to hand. There's one at the back if you would like one. Okay, Jonah 4.11, but Nineveh was or has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? I've put that text up because we're going to do some exegesis, some quick exegesis, okay? Uh, uh, tell me what it's saying. Have a guess. I'm going to show you four points. What's that verse telling you? Shout a few things out. It's a very large city. Anybody else? Yes. Well, do the first point, please, Charlie, because that's the first one, isn't it? Okay. It's a very large city, which tells you God knows it's a very large city. He knows. How many people does he inspire Jonah to write that there are in the city? Which means he knows. This is the first point. Oh, it's got a weird echo here. Uh, this is the first point. Okay. Jesus, God, knows in real time how, not how many, not an old list, an up-to-date, real-time list of how many people live there. He knows something about this city. He knows the inhabitants. He knows what's going on. He knows data. Someone has something else from the text. What else is the text telling us? Well, okay. Put the next point up, please, Charlie, okay? Okay? Their culpability is lessened. Could someone drag that speaker forward for me, please? Thanks. Their culpability is lessened by their ignorance. Is he okay to do that job? Their culpability is lessened by their ignorance. Okay? Yet they don't know their right from their left. That's why I asked, is he okay to do that job? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah, look, that's great. Yeah, yeah that's, that's better. Thank you. Uh, it's my fault. I put it where it was. It's off, is it? Oh, that's why. Could we have the sound back on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so look, their culpability is lessened by their ignorance. That doesn't mean the Ninevites were innocent. No, God's not saying the Ninevites are innocent. Innocent. Okay, you try speeding and getting pulled over and then saying you didn't see the sign. It doesn't get you nowhere, does it? Okay, this doesn't mean they're innocent, but rather 
God's response to them is somewhat tempered. And the next one is, God is concerned about the welfare of the Ninevites. You notice that? Okay, should I not care? Be concerned. God is concerned about the welfare of ordinary, non-Christian, sinful people. Do we know that? God cares about normal people, regular people, bad people. And in the last one, this is a shocking one, isn't it? God cares about woof woof. Seriously, or even them, okay? God cares about animals. What a waste of ink. Where's that been in there? Because it matters to God. And so can you see the picture here? This final verse of Jonah. Here's what we, here's what we, here's what we learned. The God has a real-time picture of what's happening on this planet about the people who are going to and fro, who are living, who are doing life and marrying and, and everything else they do. He knows all that. He, he understands that, that we're not all given the same level of light. And so our, our culpability is, is, is tempered according to the measure of light we're given. God concern, is concerned about how people are doing, how they are. Whether or not they've got a meal on the table today. And he even cares about that for the animal world. Go to that great city of Nineveh, he tells Jonah, and proclaim to it the message I give you. He does that because he cares. Let's bring it into our world. Who's out there? They're Ninevites. What, is, what country is this? It's Nineveh. What are the people like who live here? Some of, them are, some of them are some of them are really nice people. I meet them all the time. I'm meeting lots now in what I'm doing. They're nice people generally. But some are, I'm going to be meeting some of these too, aren't I? Some are, you don't want them in your society. Okay? It's Nineveh, which makes you and me Jonah. Who'd want to go... <laughs> and preach the gospel. One of the questions I was asked at an interview recently is, what do you feel about sex offenders? How would you feel about preaching the gospel to a sex offender? We don't, we don't want to go to all these people, do we? Perhaps. But God sends us. We are the Jonah. That is Nineveh. And so here's God's word to us. Here's the commission. It's our final heading in Jonah, Jesus sends his church into all Nineveh to minister to his people in his stead. To minister to his people in his stead. Jo Nineveh was a terrible place, but Jonah, God didn't send Jonah to destroy it. That's what Jonah thought. That's what Jonah wanted, remember? He sent Jonah to bring it back from destruction because this world is heading towards destruction. It will finally, in fact, I've got, got a text here, it's not on the screen, but sorry, 1 Corinthians, this present world is passing away. Number one, friends, we've got to accept this reality. This world, I know it's lovely and it's wonderful and it's great when the sun's out, 
Okay? But it's passing away. And here's the other thing that Jesus tells John and the disciples. A time is coming when there'll be no more opportunity to be a prophet to Nineveh. Night is coming, says Jesus, when no one can work. And so the commission of Jonah that, that, we, uh, that we take on board has got some urgency to it. I know we like to think it's going to go on and on and look, look, you know, I mean, look at Bronya, she's maturing in life, so the good word, okay, you know, and she's managed to do all these years, okay, and she may get the impression it's just going to go on forever. Her grandkids will mature through life, and their kids will mature through life, and their kids will mature through life, but it's not true. It's going to end at some point. We have no idea when, but it will. And so, so there's some urgency to this task. And so from that heading, I want us to work out what is that thing? What are we to do? What does it mean? How do we minister to our world? And the obvious answer, where do, we all, where do, where do all Christians go? What is the calling to the church? What has Jesus told us he wants to do? It's at the very end of Matthew. It's in, it's in every single gospel. What is it that he wants us to do? And make disciples. And because we, we're called Living Word Bible Church, every one of you knows that. Okay? And every church like us in our, in our ilk knows that. Everybody knows that. So I don't want to deal with that just yet. I will come to it at the end, and, and look, it, it ends there. But I want to suggest, friends, that there's far more to why God sent Jonah to Nineveh in exactly the same way. There's far more in the Great Commission to us than only making disciples. And that is the ultimate, and that is the finale, and it has to get there. But the Great Commission has incorporated into it the task of the church in our world is far richer, far broader, far deeper than just making disciples. And the church that most needs to hear this message is churches that claim to be Bible-centered. They can end up being the least Bible-centered in the way they relate to their world. And so look, let me show you the text. We're going to jump into the New Testament. We're going to, we're going to apply what it looks like to be Jonah in Nineveh. Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Or you are the light of the... Sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. You are the... And that's John 8. Okay. Um, uh, now it's actually in Matthew 5 as well. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. What's that mean? That's a commission. That's a work. What does that mean? You are the salt of the earth. You are what gives distinction to the world. Okay? You and I are what reveals God's standard of life to our world. That's the commission. That, that we, are, we, we demonstrate by our lives something of what God calls for as a God who is holy, holy, holy. Verse 14, you are the, when I got wrong earlier, you are the light of the world. What does that mean? I mean, in John 8, Jesus says, 
I am the light of the world. Let me get to the right. I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, and it's surprising, he says that you are the light of the world. What's he saying there? That you are, in your persons, in your activity, in your life, what reveals God. You bring God's light of who he is, what he's like, to the world. Can you see already what the commission looks like? It's far more than merely preaching the gospel. It's being, being the standard of God's holiness. It's being the wonder and presence of God into our world. Galatians 6, look, look, listen to this. You can turn to it if you want, but otherwise just stay in Matthew. I'm going to come back there. Galatians 6, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. What's that telling us about what our mandate is as the people of God? Let us do good to all people, especially the church. What's that telling us to do? What's that telling us that the gospel work of a church entails? It's been sort of yet. Is that one? It is certainly that. I was thinking something a little wider too as well, but just generally. Generally, how does it sound? Let me just re-quote it. Let us do good to all people. How does that sound in the simplest form of it? Pardon? It is. Let's just be good to people. When you see someone trying to cross the road, help them. When you see someone struggling with the shopping, help them. I've got a guy from here who goes from here to the hills. I think he does it every day. He pushes a bike, rides over, pushes it up these hills, sometimes 9, 10 o'clock at night when I'm going back from, you know, you know, really, I pulled other ones, you know, I thought, you know, eh, I'm going to get to John of Four, so I better have an illustration when I get there. So I shouted out, can I help you, mate? Guess what he said? No. But, so some people just don't want help, but offer it. Be on hand. Do good. And not just to Ricky. And now she goes to church and you want to do good to Ricky because you're going to get good brownie points. Forget Ricky. Help them out there. Let us do good to all people. The mandate to the church from Jesus is that you are called to be good citizens of Adelaide. And you can't do that by being here 24-7. It's a good job we're only here for an hour and a half because we can't do that here, can we? It has to be done out there. It's why we don't have monasteries. Thank God they were sold off by Henry VIII. Bless him. Okay? Because that is not how Christianity is done. We can't do it in the building. You can only do good to all people if you go to where all people are. Can you see the point? Let me quote you another one back to Matthew. Did you stay there? Matthew 5. Do not resist an evil person. You know what that means? You know what that means? Be kind to the bad people too. Those who are terrible neighbours. Let me ask you, you know that neighbour that you don't get on with? When was the last time you invited him over for a coffee or a beer? What kind of Christian are we? Do you know if we've got bad neighbours that we don't talk to? That is not a good thing. That is not a good thing. 
And don't you dare justify it by saying he doesn't speak to me. That's like a kid in the playground, mummy, he won't speak to me. But you go and speak to him. You go and knock on his door. Buy his wife some flowers. Invite them round for dinner. Offer to help him with his lawn. Seriously, can you see that? So evil people aren't an excuse. Okay, that's Jesus' point here. Uh, Listen to the next one. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Be kind to people. Look for need. Have you ever been in a shopping? Seriously, have you ever been in a shopping line at Coles, Woolworths? Okay, and, and you can tell someone is struggling to pay for that shopping bill. They scrounge you for every last, last cent. When was the last time you got your wallet out and said, hey, let me take care of that for you? Why not? Why not? There's a church over in Air Peninsula that we go to whenever we go on holiday there. Uh, and and, and they're this, they do all kinds of stuff. One of the things they do is a, is a, is a petrol station uh, thing whereby... They turn up, turn up for petrol, and they pay for the petrol of them and the car behind them. They do that regularly as members of the church. They pay for their petrol and pay for the one behind. Do you know, it's a huge church in the middle of nowhere where no people live. That's why it's a huge church, because their entire community knows they're there, feels their presence. You never know when you're going to go turn up and fill, fill your tank up and someone's going to pay for it. And that's when you're wishing you filled, up, you filled it up to the top <laughs> instead of just getting it off the red line. Be kind to people. Be generous. Out of your wealth. I was talking to someone at the wedding yesterday about this. And you know, I said to him, you know, I'm sure people get offended when I say, to, say this to them. But I'm going to say it. You're wealthy. You are rich beyond the, the conception of most people in this world, they think it's terrible the wealth you live in and I live in. They're disgusted by our luxurious living. Seriously, you guys are wealthy beyond imagination. Be kind with it, guys. Pay for someone's meal in a restaurant, in a shopping line. Buy someone dinner. Offer to pay for it. Be generous, verse 44. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Hey, it goes all the way to the people we despise the most. We're to minister to our world by loving those who are unlovable. And he finishes off with, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I think the point there is, is, is not so much depth, but width, that our work as, as a church, as Christians, in taking the gospel into our world, that, that we're to, we're to uh, you know, ensure it's holistic. That, that we're not, James says it, doesn't he? He goes, don't even bother preaching the gospel. Okay, If you're tight-fisted, don't even bother preaching the gospel. Because if you're not going to feed him first, he's not going to listen to a word you say. 
because faith and works work together. And, and so be perfect. That means endeavor to be Christ-like in Christ's world. I know, I, know we, I, know, I know it's easy for us Bible-centered Christians. Okay, to think, you know, we're so Bible-centered that we know exactly how God thinks of this world. He's going to burn it up and it's got a doomsday day label to it. And the only thing that matters is just rescuing people. No, it doesn't. Do you know, God cares about the quality of the lives of all the sinners out there. It's what he was demonstrating. You know, when you look at Jesus' ministry, what do you see? And then there weren't Christians. I know Christianity, had, Christianity hadn't started then, but they weren't good Jews either. Okay? What did he do when he encountered ordinary people who were outside the faith? Okay? Most of them. Oh, they had the tag. Who, yeah. He did. It's what he did. He, he didn't just preach messages of doom and, doom and doom and doom and just tell them to go to hell and just you know, parachute in and parachute out. What did he do? He, ever before he preached sermons, you know what he did? He just did good stuff to people. And in fact, this is so perplexing to the disciples. Remember what they were always trying to do? They're always trying to stop it. There he is at the... At, the, at, the, at the, the synagogue, and this woman bent over. She, doesn't, she can't get straight. What does Jesus do in the middle of a sermon? Do you know what he did? He stopped preaching and helped this little old lady who couldn't stand up properly. This is what he did, much to the anger of those around him. And like I said to you, not only did, did, couldn't the Pharisees quite get this, his own disciples didn't get it. Remember what they were like? They were constantly like this. So look, Mark 10, okay, uh, what is it? It's blind Bartimaeus. Remember he's shouting, Lord have mercy on me. What do the disciples do? What are the disciples doing? They're trying to shut him up. He, he ain't got time for you, mate. You know, who cares if you're blind? He's got the word of God to preach. That's what they were doing. We've got to have a sermon here, mate. You know what Jesus says? Forget the sermon. I'm going to get the sack here, aren't I? Forget the sermon. I care that he can't see. I care about him. And don't you dare stop him coming to me. I don't care what sermon I'm preaching and how intentively you're listening. You can wait, mate, because I'm going to minister to this man. He needs me and he needs me now. No one I've finished. No one you're ready. He needs me now. Remember what he says about the woman? You know, look how long she's been like this and you want me to wait one more day to heal her? Remember what they were like with the kids? But when they were being brought to Jesus, to waste his time sitting on his lap and being picked up and thrown into the air. What a waste of time. And Jesus has to tell them, oh, forget anything. how dare you? How dare you stop those kids coming to me? I'm not wasting my time. I want to hold them, okay? I want to look, look at them and I want to bless them. I want to say what great kids they are to, to their parents. 
Who are you to stop me? Says Jesus. And you know the one, when, the, when, the, when these people have been travelling with Jesus for days, have got hardly anything to eat, they've obviously run out of food by now. And what are the disciples saying to Jesus? Send them away. How? This is, this is awful, this is. People are making me angry. How do they want to send these people away? They want to send them away hungry because they're more concerned about the Bible being preached than meeting people's needs. Can you see why this is a, church, a sermon for Bible-centered churches? Because I think we're becoming so Bible-centered that we don't see what the Bible's about. The caring for people matters to Jesus. It's what he spent three years doing. He did it left, right and centre. He didn't care what trouble he got him into, what opposition there was. He didn't care what sermon he was preaching. He would stop and care. Do the most menial tasks for people because this world matters to him. This world is a world he cares for. Its people matter. He knows exactly how many billions of people live here. He knows what their lives look like. He knows their struggles. He watches their pain. And he's not just aloof. No, he demonstrates. This is what Jesus was saying when he came. He said, look, this is how much I care for you. Look. And in doing that, he says to his church, that's what you should be doing. That's what you should be doing. That's what being a Christian is about. What are Christians? They're God's sons. What does God's sons do? We saw it in the Beatitude. They act like God. What is God doing today? He's letting his son shine for that man who's not in church, who doesn't believe in God. God is blessing that man with sunshine so that he can enjoy his garden and be happy. God's in that. He's in that. He was in it last night too. I don't know how, but he was apparently when he was sending torrential rain for somebody. It wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, hopefully somebody benefited from that. Right? And so, I'm going I'm 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 to spell it out for you because the worst thing about pastors is they, they just speak riddles. So I'm going I'm to give you some English, okay? The proper English, right? Okay, in a Brummy accent, but proper English, right? Okay, this is how it looks. We'll have the slide, please, Charlie. This is how it looks. It means this. It means that, you, that we need doctors in the church. Physios, surgeons, nurses, because you are Jesus' hands and feet. When you make someone's back feel better, you haven't just done a good turn in your community. You have been Jesus. You've done Jesus' work. You've acted on his behalf. You've delighted him. He's watching you. He's thanking you. He's rejoicing in what you have done for that dear person who's struggled with their back for years on end. Jesus is pleased with you. You have just ministered in Jesus' name. You have just done gospel work. You are sons or daughters of a heavenly Father who longs to bring comfort to that suffering person. And insofar as you've done that, you've served him. 
You've been a godly Christian. You've demonstrated you're a son and daughter of Jesus when you're working in the cashiers, and when you grow food as a farmer, whether you work for the council. What would we do without a council? Thank the Lord for the council. Because, you know, because of them, you get bins collected. You get planning permission. The police. I know, the police. Yeah. Where would we be without the police? It's because of them and their service to God that this is a nice country to live in. Because of what they're doing for God's people, it means we can go to a park this afternoon and, ha and be almost certain no one is going to jump on us. What a ministry for God. MPs, yeah, MPs. Who's going to run our country? House builders, okay? Designers and engineers. Galatians 6. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. The Airbus. Um, A380. There it is. It was the concept what came to mind about in the, in the 80s. Eventually, around 2000, they began to work on it. By 2005, it was built. On April the 27th, it flew its maiden flight. It's the largest passenger aircraft in the world. 73 meters long, 24 meters high. It holds 853 people. Weighs 560 tons. It can fly 8,208 nautical miles, 15,200 kilometers. Who cares about that? Who cares? Jesus cares. Do you know what Jesus thought, was, thinks of that project when he was going on? Do you know how he looked at it? No, that's what I mean, guys. You know why he was saying that? Because that's what he does. He was looking at the project. He was, no doubt, inspiring its flow and thinking, wow, go for it, guys. That's what I'm talking about. That's how you do it. That's how you make it fly. Get that right. Big as you can. Look at that. Do you know where God was when that was being developed? He was with the engineers. He was watching it come together. He was leading his development. He was getting excited by it. And he was looking at Jesus and saying, they're my sons. Because that's what I do. That's what he does. He designs, he innovates, and he manufactures. And insofar as we do that, we're acting as God's sons. Ministering to him for his will. Because you know what that A380 does? Next slide, please, Charlie. That's what it does. It unites people across thousands of kilometers. It sends people to Barbados, okay? It, it means that, that you can work and do business across this globe so this world functions. It means you can study in Australia, okay? And if we don't care for that, our economy cares for it, for it okay? Can you see what the 380 does? It serves Jesus' world. It delights, you know, when, he, when God watches hundreds and thousands of aircraft crisscrossing our world. You know what he's thinking? 
He goes sightseeing to watch it happen. And he revels in the fact that his world is functioning, that we're advancing, that we're getting technologically brilliant, that we're discovering. Do you know how many more amazing inventions he's got on hold that he's going to release and filter into intelligent minds? Millions! Where do they come from? You know know, how penicillin was developed? Penicillin? Something floated in from a window, into a window, landed on this guy. Guy had a, and I, this is off the cuff now, okay, had a bright idea. Where did that bright idea come from? He didn't just think it up. There's not a single bright idea anybody just thought up. It was planted by God so that we could benefit from his medical blessings. I can't think of the word. We forget, don't we? God cares about how our world is functioning. He delights in it. And, and though the end may be coming, and it is, God is still intimately involved within it, and he, and he works to provide the blessings of life, which does mean, it does mean, doesn't it, that the access to technology and wealth and resources that we have, we have a responsibility to, Make that accessible for as many of the inhabitants of this world as we possibly can. Do you know one of the key reasons? Could somebody get that water for me, please? Thank you. One of the key reasons... Thank you. That only goes so far. One of the key reasons that the Roman world began to be drawn to Christianity, okay, is because the Christians did good to them. It wasn't the sermons that drew them. It's because the Christians were such good people, kind people, generous people, great neighbours, and it drew them to Jesus. Jesus sends his church. I've got to come to a close, haven't I? Jesus sends his church into all Nineveh to minister to his people in his stead. May we never belittle what we call social justice. It is the work of the church. We ought to be busy. Let me ask you, this is, this, this is terrible, isn't it? How many acts, programs of social justice is Living Word Bible Church engaged in? It's terrible, isn't it? And we call ourselves Christians. It's terrible. I was talking to a church in the week and he was showing me all the stuff they do and and I was just flabbergasted. How many community activities? A church of 50 people, so don't start saying, oh, they're probably 200, okay? Church of 50 people. Murray Bridge. How many community activities they were engaged in? It's incredible. I felt ashamed. <laughs> I felt ashamed. No, no, look, there is a danger that that's all, that's all we may do, Okay? It's hardly a danger for us, is it? 
How many community projects, social justice programs, of caring for God's people are we involved in as a church? I don't think we're involved in any of But God bless you. God bless you, Sarah. God bless you, Matt. God bless you, Greg. God bless you, Catherine. Individually, as representatives of our church, you are doing that very thing every day. You turn up to work. God bless you. That's your ministry to Jesus. Your blessing, you are being God and bringing about the glory of God, the provision of God, the healing of God, the grace of God, the fellowship of God to those dear, dear people that you engage in every day. Don't ever turn up to work without prayer and anointing to do ministry for Jesus. Finally, then finally, and I'm going to spend less time on this because it's the one we need to spend less time on it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Yeah. Yeah. Where does all that go? Yeah, it's, it finally has to get to making disciples. Absolutely. It's got to finally get there. Because beyond all the good that we can do for people, they're going to die. And when they die, they're going to face God. And so we have to finally get there. It's got to be the ultimate trajectory. It's got to be where it's all going. There's got to be a passion. And I, don't, I know we don't fail here in making disciples, which means that when we have an alpha leafly drop, you've got to get there. Seriously, if you don't work, and it's a 3.40 in the afternoon, and you're mobile... Okay, I'm really heading for the sack today, aren't I? You've got to get out and get there. You've got to do it, guys. You've got to deliver the leaflets. You've got to invite people. You've got to make an effort to talk to somebody you don't like. Do you know what the worst outcome will be on May the 4th? That it's just you guys and me. The worst thing ever. And if that is the case, you know who you know who's to blame? You and me. If there's nobody there outside the church on Thursday the fourth, it's our fault. We haven't made the effort, tried hard enough. If we really knew what was at stake. Maybe we would. Let me tell you, what is at stake? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, what? Shall not perish eternally. That's what's at stake. You've got to turn up to the leaflet drops, guys. You've got to phone your, your kids up, your aunties, your neighbours, your work colleagues, people on the streets. Invite them, drag them. 
We have to do it. We're responsible for it. It is not the job of the pastor to evangelize the world. It's the job of a pastor to equip and train and mobilize the congregation to evangelize the world. It's not my job to deliver leaflets. You know my job is? It's to study the word of God so I can preach sermons. That's my job. It's your job to deliver leaflets. But I'll still go. But you've got to turn up. And you've got to take leaflets. You've got to get them into people's hands. You've got to make the calls. It means that we have to do real gospel work. It means, hey, let me ask you, how many non-Christian people do you know? Shame on us. Shame on us. How many non-Christian friends do we have? Shame on us. Shame on us. How many clubs and societies that are full of non-Christians do I belong to? Shame on me. You know the most unspiritual thing that we can do? is to fill our phone book up with Christian people. How, how are we ever going to invite someone to Alpha if the only friends we have are religious freaks? Join a chess club, not, not because you're interested in chess, but because it'll give you some non-Christian friends. Join a golf club, not because you like playing golf, but you'll mix with non-Christians. Join a bowling club, not because you want to play bowls, but because you want to meet non-Christians. Turn up at the school gates and get out of your car and walk to the school so that you can meet some people. Get out of the shopping centre, talk to people, invite somebody to, to around. You know our little girl? She's incredible. She's going to meet a kid. Within two minutes, she's their best friend. Make friends. It's not, it's, not like a, it's not like a glory thing. I don't have any non-Christian friends. That's not a good thing. What are you doing? When was the last time? Remember Jesus said this, didn't he? He goes, when you have dinners, who, who shouldn't we invite round? Remember he said, when you have dinners, who shouldn't you invite round? Don't stop inviting Ricky. This isn't true. But stop inviting Graham round. Graham, stop inviting Greg round. Catherine, stop inviting Yvonne round. Invite your neighbour who doesn't know Jesus. Invite the guy down the street who's never been to church. Look, these people won't go to church. Why would they? Who wants to go to church in today's age? But you can't say. Do you, you, you and the kids want to come around Amzac Day? I'm getting a bouncy castle in the garden and we're having a barbecue. And I'd just love to get to know you guys. Do you want to come for dinner? You tell me how many people would say no to that. We've got to be in the world. This sounds really ungodly, doesn't it? Get out into the world. Here's one. This is really ungodly. Be more worldly. Okay? Be more worldly. Have worldly interests, worldly passions. So that we can mix with worldly people. So that we've got people to invite 
to church. Look, if I invite some random guy to church, he'll just think I'm stupid. If he's, if he's in my inner circle of friends, and I turn around and say, oh, I've got something special on this Sunday. I know you're not religious. What do you, you come along and we'll, we'll go and get something to eat afterwards. How much more likely is, he, is it that he'll, that he'll come? Make friends. Here's your task this week. Go and join a club and make a new friend who's not religious. Okay? And that's where the book of Jonah was going. You can see why I kept it till the end, can't you? It's about, it's about caring for our world, showing them we care for them. It's about relating to them, to people we despise perhaps. It's about doing good to them with nothing to gain. And ultimately, it's about making disciples. Amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.